0: Good good morning. It is so good to be back with you. Um, If you have your copy of God's Word, why don't you go ahead and open that to 2 Corinthians. Uh, We're going to be in 2 Corinthians, the end of chapter 4, uh, through the beginning of 5. And I know John is preaching right now at center in 2 Corinthians 3, Uh, so it's kind of neat. Maybe we'll have to bring those sermons back to our respective churches. Uh, As you're turning there, though... um, if you would go ahead and put those slides up, I brought just a couple pictures to show you. Uh, But, you know, as I was just singing uh, in the midst of what is the beautiful chorus of the people of God at Overland Hills Church, I I cannot tell you how blessed you are to get to do this uh, every Sunday morning. And I wanted to communicate the gift that God was giving me this morning. Um, And it drew me to this. Jacob Venter was a seventh grader in my youth Sunday school class. I knew little Jake as a two-year-old, a toddler, and here he is providing the the company on the drums. Emily probably as a first or second grader. Um, I mean, I was getting emotional because it's just, it's such a reflection of how there is a DNA that has been established here at Overland Hills Church where God sends out Uh, You know, this is my first Sunday back where Bobby wasn't going to be here, and I was like, I I don't know how this is going to go. The the music hasn't, the the singing has not changed one bit. Sorry, Bobby. But they don't miss you that well. (laughs) We miss Bobby. We miss Bobby. Uh, But it's so beautiful how he sends out, and then he just raises up, and he keeps just providing what we need to continue worshiping him and to bear witness to his great name in this community. Um, When we first entered into partnership with Center Baptist Church, this was back in really 2018, but 2019, we started going over there and providing a pulpit supply. It was out of a burden that we had to see a 120, over 120-year-old church, um, originally the Swedish Baptist Church of Omaha, um, right there in the middle of Omaha, 42nd and Center now, experience a measure of revitalization And to be able to continue its gospel witness for many, many more years to come in that part of the city. And so I brought uh, some of these pictures here, which I think best represent some of the work of God's revitalization um, among us. That because of your partnership, we have been able um, to see on the left, we have, we have a new member who, who joined the church who was discipled by another member of our church who came to faith in Christ through his witness. We were able to baptize her there. On the right, top right corner, two new members who joined just a couple weeks ago. This is really neat because uh, that gentleman on the left, Chuck, he was in the youth group at Center in the 70s, or uh, sorry, he wouldn't like me saying that, in the 90s. Uh, he kind of wandered and was in the wilderness for 20 years, and through COVID and, and some of the things that were happening, uh, he found his way back into the church and has, has made it his home again and is walking with the Lord. And I get to be kind of a part of that one-on-one discipleship with him. And that's Joanne to his right. Joanne was married in the church in the 50s or 60s, um, before they even had that church building. Uh, she moved away, but through COVID, she found the, the online... Um, sermons, the recordings. She came back to church one morning. She said, it is so good to be back home where the Word of God is being faithfully preached week in and week out. Now she's joined the church. It's so cool. Uh, Revitalization will also bring out a desire to revitalize spaces. So the space looks a little fresher, but uh, on the bottom right there is new life in Christ represented through the baptism of a young lady um, this past June. And if you go to the next slide, um, I think I have just a couple more. Backyard Bible Club for the summer. Revitalization. The presence of Center now, uh, the community knows about us. Here we are doing Backyard Bible Club in the park and sharing the gospel for not just the kids that came, but people, the bystanders walking by. It was a really cool experience. Um, infant dedication. God has provided new physical life in our church. In fact, we've had three babies born. We got one on the way, one of ours actually. Uh, In February. So God is filling our church with physical life. Next slide. And I just wanted to include um, another picture of a work day, so refreshing the building. But I wanted to include just a picture of Chris Atkins preaching because he was another who was sent out from here. And, And I think this is important for understanding revitalization because when God does the work of revitalization, what he does is he raises up within churches new leaders and pastors who can continue to proclaim the gospel for many more years to come. And we are about two weeks away from nominating Chris and uh, Mike Fraley for elders uh, to be a part of our first elder team at Center Baptist Church. And this is, (laughs) I mean this in the best way. Chris was not going to become an elder here at Overland for probably quite a few years But this is how God puts you in a certain context with a certain opportunity. And the growth has just been like through the roof to be able to to, uh, see him um, basically function as an associate pastor with me. And I'm so grateful for Chris's work at Cinder. So just a few um, testimonies, evidences of the work of revitalization. Now, let me be clear Uh, When I talk about church revitalization, which is kind of becoming more of a a buzzword, it can mean a whole lot of things. But I wholeheartedly believe that church revitalization must be the work of God. (laughs) Not our work, but the work of God through us, accomplished only by the Word of God and the Spirit of God. The church is continually being reformed, revitalized in so much as God's words words are changing our lives. We just get the privilege of being participants by serving as his ministers of the regular preaching of his word, of the administration of his ordinances, of the careful spiritual care of his flock, and a consistent gospel witness in the community that he has ordained for us to be in. And I just want to say to you as a matter of encouragement this morning, when you contribute to the work of church revitalization, you get to be co-laborers in that ministry with us. And I thank God so, so, so very much for the partnership that we have together. Let me read from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 16. But the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home, he's talking about our body here, the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan. We groan, longing to put on Father, as this passage makes clear, we are desperately in need of your Holy Spirit to bring about renewal this morning. One of the ways, one of the primary ways we know that that happens is through the hearing and doing of your word. So Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes this morning to behold the wonderful and necessary things that you have prepared for us. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, all that talk about church revitalization, um, we are still very much in need of being revitalized. We, in fact, always will be, we always need to be aware that we are in need of being revitalized. And I would ask that question to you, is Overland Hills Church in need of revitalization? Are you individual Christian? Or maybe not yet a Christian, are you in need of revitalization? In a very recent survey of hundreds of pastors, over 90% admitted that their church was in need of some measure of revitalization. Paul begins this passage. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. You could say our inner self is being revitalized day by day. So here's my kind of theme right up front. Brothers and sisters and visitors, guests. Unless you are experiencing the revitalizing work of the Holy Spirit day by day in your life, you will lose heart. Say that one more time. Unless you are experiencing the revitalizing work of the Holy Spirit day by day in your life, you will lose heart. This world is far too much for us without it. I think even more so recently than any other point in my life, I feel the weight of that statement. This world is far too much for me apart from the Holy Spirit. This here in this passage is really a concluding thought for Paul because he begins this section actually all the way back at the beginning of chapter 4 when he says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. His ministry, he tells the Corinthian church, is characterized by God using his weakness, God using persecution, God using affliction, as this sort of canvas on which to display the surpassing resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And he comes back to that same phrase in verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Paul's going to give us a series of paradoxes here in chapter 4, verse 16, through the end of chapter 5. Things that might appear to our physical eyes to be one way when we look around at everything that is happening around us, but really in a much greater, bigger spiritual sense are quite different than the way that we see them. Now, there are, I'm, I'm sure there are some people here this morning who have a much keener sense that their outer self is wasting away than do others. I mean, those of you who are here in the congregation this morning who are, let's say, 60 or older, when you got out of bed this morning, were there some feelings that maybe your body is wasting away? How many of you, who are over 60, would say that you feel more alive today than you did when you were 18 or 25. Show of hands. <laughs> we got it. we got a couple here, a couple people who are thinking spiritually this morning. Well, we know it to be true, right? We know this, that from the day that we are born, we are moving closer and closer to death. I wonder, is that a depressing thought for anyone this morning. oh, well, Paul tells us here that for the Christian, this should actually encourage us. For the Christian, that, that our outer self is wasting away should actually encourage us because although our outer self is wasting away, he says, our inner self is being renewed. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. You see, the Christian knows that there is far more to man than this earthly body. In fact, all of us who have the Spirit of Christ dwelling in us can be confident that as we move closer and closer to death, we are being renewed day by day. How then are we being renewed? How is God doing this work within us? That's really what the rest of the passage is about. The rest of the passage is going to be the basis— or the explanation, or the how, the how we are being renewed day by day. And the first point this morning is this. Earthly afflictions are preparing you for eternal glory. If you want to write that down. Earthly afflictions are preparing you for eternal glory. Right now, Erica and I and, and, our, and our kids, we have the joy of getting to be eyewitnesses to that great age of discovery with our almost two-year-old Daniel. Daniel, it seems, is discovering or doing a new thing almost every single day. You know how that is when you have someone that age? And you can just sit there and watch and be entertained as he unlocks each new exciting level of life each new feat of strength, every mental breakthrough. It's, it's just a, a new excitement and enjoyment. But at the same time, we also know this from experience, that it can also be very painful to watch him strain, to watch him fall, to watch him bump his head or smash his fingers, or like yesterday when he touched something hot that he wasn't supposed to. Now, you don't be calling DHS or whatever it is, but this is just normal, typical, you know, baby life, right? But when you hear that pitiful cry, when you see that curling of that bottom lip, and it just breaks your heart, there's so much groaning and crying and wincing and frustration that we could say almost must proceed each new breakthrough. You see, our environment is not set up for infants. It's not friendly for infants. It's set up for walking people. It's set up for climbing people. It's set up for talking people. And so it's very frustrating for him when he cannot do these things. But then that moment comes. That moment comes when he makes it on top of that stool he's been working on for so long. Or he climbs up to the top of the stairs and he just beams with pride. And this is what Daniel does. He claps his hands and he jumps up and down because it's pure enjoyment for him. What has just happened in every one of those moments is that Daniel has developed a new level of fitness to enjoy for the first time new heights and experiences that were once for him discouragingly unattainable. You see, our stairs up to the second floor were once a fierce menace that was standing in his way, keeping him from the glories of the second floor. But now, now that he has mastered the stairs, they have become his pathway, his pathway to enjoy these pleasures. And so it is that all of our afflictions, in a very similar way, Paul says, are preparing us for this eternal weight of glory. Preparing us for the full enjoyment of a realm which we are not yet fully fitted out for. A realm that is far beyond our present imagination. Now we suffer afflictions today that seem to our grown-up selves to be much weightier than those afflictions of Daniel. We suffer things like car accidents or job loss or cancer or some other great loss or maybe even ridicule or persecution for our faith. In fact, Apostle Paul has first on his mind here in this letter the affliction of being persecuted for speaking the name of Jesus Christ. Paul talks later in chapter 11 about being beaten with rods, stoned, shipwrecked, danger from robbers, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, many a sleepless night, hunger and thirst, cold and exposure, and of course, the daily pressure of anxiety he has for all the churches. Yet even with all of these afflictions, Still, Paul is able to say that they are light and momentary when you compare them to the exceeding and eternal weight of what is to come. I don't know about you, how how it is when you read this passage and you hear those words, light and momentary afflictions, you just kind of think, yeah, Paul, whatever. Like, you can't be serious here with what you're saying. But Paul is able to say this because... Comparing them to what is beyond all comparison, comparing them to the exceeding and eternal weight of is what it is to come in light of eternity with Jesus, they are, in fact, very light and momentary. In our English translation, I think it says, it says that they are. Be, this weight of glory is beyond all comparison. In the Greek, I think this is really cool just to share it. It, it, it says, According to hyperbole unto hyperbole, so is the eternal weight of glory that is to come. In other words, far exceeding what you can imagine right now, if you were to actually take hold of that, it would exceed that. And when you could take hold of that, it would exceed that and exceed that and exceed that far beyond anything we could ever comprehend. An endless glory that keeps on exceeding anything we've ever known. Just as baby Daniel will climb to the top of the stairs and now be able to enjoy all the new pleasures and the new worlds that he didn't even know existed before, so it is that as we endure afflictions, God is enlarging our, enlargening our capacity for new pleasures that can be found only in him. As Christ in me pushes out more and more of the me that is within me with each, each increase of Christ in me i experience new heights and new joys that make me long to grow more so that i can enjoy more of christ our afflictions in this world far from being meaningless are preparing us for the heavenly world that is to come but then paul says this is not simply a matter of enduring affliction until that glorious day should come. It's not that we're just afflicted and poof, we become more like Christ. Rather, it's in how we view our suffering that increases our capacity to enjoy the things of heaven, which is the second point here. The way we experience that daily inner renewal is by shifting our eyes from what is seen when we are afflicted to what is unseen. The way we experience that daily inner renewal is by shifting our eyes from what we see when we are afflicted to what is unseen. I had a friend, actually somebody I talked about earlier today, a friend at, at Center share with me, just this week, about how much he is struggling because of what he sees happening in the world around him. And part of it had to do with new policies that he was facing at work. Part of it had to do with the godless decisions of political leaders that was influencing his life. Part of it had to do with just the simple hatefulness that he saw in this world. And of course, I had this passage on my mind all week. So what does any good preacher do? He just starts preaching. I didn't do a very good job of empathizing. I just started (laughs) preaching to him. That's what we suffer from all too often. But I shared this passage with him and I said, okay, let's try this. Let's try this experiment. You have just told me about all the stuff that you can see, right? You've told me all the things you see happening around you in this world. But here we have this passage we have to deal with. That says God is preparing for us this eternal weight of glory through our afflictions. But he says, not as we look to what is seen, but what is unseen. So I asked him, How do you think God is using these trials to prepare you for eternity? He thought about it for a few seconds. Really, it only took him just a few seconds to kind of step back from what he could see and consider these unseen realities. And he began to tell me, he probably talked to me for about 10 minutes about all of the doors that these circumstances have opened up at work to be able to share his faith. About how more Christians are sort of coming out of the woodwork in his workplace to encourage one another and they're looking to him for spiritual guidance as the religious one among them. And as he began to think about what Christ was doing, and mind you, this is Jesus Christ who we do not see right now with our own eyes, right? We, we read of his testimony and we know he's there by his spirit, but we don't see him physically right now. As he began to put his gaze on Christ, I could see that he experienced a renewal of hope. And I'm not saying it always works this way. It's it's not always such a clear-cut story like that. But it was as if in a moment his whole outlook changed when he shifted from the seen to the unseen. And we know this as a principle taught to us in Scripture several times. Paul's going to say it here down the way in verse 7 of chapter 5 that we walk by faith, not by sight. Faith, the author of Hebrews says, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. Things unseen, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Jesus would say to Thomas, who needed to see to believe, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's actually where the blessing is found. You see, if we allow only what we can see to feed our discouragement further and only what we can see to determine the direction of our lives, we are going to lose heart. We are going to go unrenewed, unrevitalized. Let me just give you a couple of quick examples from my own struggles with discouragement in my context as a pastor at Center Baptist Church. My own temptations that I face on a regular basis to lose heart. And I'll just give you the big one right up front here. Because of how I have grown up swimming in the American evangelical church universe that places such a great value on numerical growth, and because of the message from our culture that complements this, that tells us that successful things are only big, dramatic things, I am so often tempted to view success simply by what I can see, particularly on a Sunday morning as I look out into the congregation. So for example, full pews should mean success, right? If the pews are full, then I am doing the genuine work of God, right? I mean, think how easy it would be for me to encourage you if I came here and said, brothers and sisters, over the past two years, we have experienced 300% growth. God bless you. Keep on giving. That would be a really easy message to be able to deliver to you, and I think that would resonate with you. In fact, some of you, when I talk to you, and this is not meant as a critique, but, but maybe to help the way we guide the conversations when we talk, some of you say, well, is the church growing? For a pastor in church revitalization, that can sometimes be a hard question. It's because I want to sit there for about an hour and tell you all the ways it is growing, but it may not resonate the same way if I just said, yeah, 200% growth last week. The danger I am in here is to somehow think that empty pews equals a lack of God's working, a lack of God's revitalization among us. But if I step back for just a moment and realize if I let my mind go there, think of all of the things that I will miss. And I'm just going to give you a few. The scripture says that As the church gathers, the manifold wisdom of God is put on display for the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That's happening every Sunday morning at Center Baptist Church. Whether 20 or 40 or 60 or 500, every time we gather in the name of Jesus Christ, manifold wisdom of God is being put on display. I can't see that physically with my own eyes. How about this? Every time we gather, enemy advances are being pushed back in our city and among the people who are gathered there in that place. Elderly among us are being renewed weekly by reminders of their blessed hope when their bodies feel to them to be wasting away. Someone who stumbles into our church after 20 years in the wilderness Barely hanging on, is now clinging tightly to the Word of God and has hope. And all this to say nothing of the exhilaration and the awesome privilege of being used by God to proclaim His power for salvation every Sunday and in the days between, proclaiming the gospel. Are these things seen? Are they seen in the way that we want to touch and hold and actually lay our eyes on something right now? No. What I often see is the empty pews. I see people who aren't in church who used to be, and I'm tempted to lose heart. Tempted to throw in the towel. But then I'm reminded Local church congregations, even as good and good and good and pleasing to God as they are, local church congregations will come and go. God may choose for a season to bring very visible numerical growth to some of them, but there is a kingdom that is still going to remain forever. There is a king that is reigning now that will still be reigning forever. And there is his gospel which is and will be the power of God for salvation forever. And all of these are living and active realities even here in the present too. So friends, whatever those things you may be letting feed your discouragement today, I've shared with you a couple of mine, whatever those things that have you feeling down today are, they will come and go too, but God and his promises will not. So let's hold on to those. If you are discouraged this morning, if you're feeling it's a struggle to not lose heart, I want you to remember to meditate on those unseen promises of God. Paul gives us a few in in the chapter preceding. In chapter 4, he says, Though you are afflicted, you are not crushed. Though you are persecuted, you are never forsaken. If you feel like you might be losing the battle, whatever that battle may be for you, remember Christ has already won the victory that matters. Paul continues, for we know, we know that if the tent that is our earthly home, this body, is destroyed, even if this body should be destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. Now let me just briefly explain. In the interest of time here, Paul is zeroing in on the specific promise that we will one day inherit fully new resurrection bodies. Did did you know that? A lot of times we talk about heaven and it's like going up into the clouds with God, but we are going to put on fully new resurrection bodies. In fact, Christ's resurrection and Christ's resurrection body is the seed of hope that we too will be raised in full with him. That's something we have to look forward to in Christ. Some Corinthians, we think, may have been thinking of the afterlife of this as this sort of disembodied spiritual state, just our soul with no body. But Paul continually preaches, no, If the spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. God, he says, is going to redeem you in full. Look at Jesus. Look at what he did with Jesus. But I want to spend just the last few minutes we have together focusing in on what he calls groaning, Here in this passage, the groaning that he talks about. He says, in this tent, as long as we are still in this very temporary body, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. The final point is this, when you are afflicted, and all of us will be afflicted, when you are afflicted, don't waste your groaning. Don't waste your groaning. A question for all of you this morning is, is it wrong to groan? What do you think? Is it wrong to groan? In this tent, Paul says, we groan. Isn't that a bad thing? Isn't groaning kind of like whining? You know, when you wake up in the morning, you're like, oh, everything in my body just hurts. Isn't that like whining? We're, We're being discontent? In another place, in Romans 8, he says that all creation is And has been groaning in the pains of childbirth. And we ourselves groan inwardly as we await the redemption of our bodies. Now Paul is not a Stoic. Stoic philosophy has always been popular. It's becoming really popular right now in the military. For those of you who are in the military, Paul is not a Stoic. This passage, though it may seem like that in a few ways, is not Stoic philosophy. The Bible very clearly encourages the vocal expression of our emotions, even the sad and tearful groaning emotions. If you don't believe me, read the Psalms for crying out loud. That was a pun I've been waiting to share. I told Erica about it. She's saying, what a geek. He actually shared that. Read the Psalms for crying out loud. Paul's aim is not that we would try to dismiss our emotions or to dismiss our groanings, but rather make them count for the glory of God. If we are going to groan as Christians, let's make our groaning count. He says the reason why Christians groan and really should groan is because we are burdened to put on something better. We are burdened to put on Christ in full, burdened to put on our heavenly home. Why? Because God has put in us, when we trusted our life to Christ, God put in us a longing for what is to come in a sinless heaven with the perfect Lord Jesus in fellowship with him forever. And if that's the case, if God has put a longing in us like that, then everything that is not fully like that yet is going to leave us in some measure dissatisfied, right? If God has put that longing in you for Christ to experience him in the fullness, then everything that's not quite that yet will in some way make you groan. Presently, we groan in the clothing of a sin-cursed and dying body, and we so badly want to put on the clothes of capital L, life Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Though you die, yet shall you live. This is the life that Paul says swallows up mortality. I just love that picture of Christ swallowing up our mortality. That's something you can dwell on for three hours after we're done here this morning. Paul makes this point further in 1 Corinthians 15, the end of this, the, the previous letter. He says for the perishable must the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Renewal. Revitalization, brothers and sisters, is actually always preceded by groaning. Longing for something better. Longing for the further clothing of Christ in our lives. And what is our guarantee for all of this? Both the hope to come and the day-by-day renewal. What does Paul say In verse 5, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. The Holy Spirit who is living in us today. The one who Paul says in Romans bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and not children of this world that we inhabit right now. Our assurance in all of this is that we are experiencing renewal through hardship, that we are increasing our capacity to behold the glory of God, that we are putting on and will fully put on one day Jesus Christ himself. And all of our assurance for this comes from the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you groan today because of what is not yet, that is assurance for you that you have something in you That is eternal. You have Christ in you. If you are in Christ, the Spirit has enabled you to not only endure affliction, but to be renewed through affliction. So, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, we are being renewed. We are being revitalized day by day. And we all so desperately need this kind of revitalization in our lives. So this is my prayer for each one of you. This is my prayer for Overland Hills Church. This is my prayer for Center Baptist Church. And this is my prayer for all of God's people that we would find renewal day by day through his Holy Spirit, no matter the affliction that we endure. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you.